The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and uh, ready for uh, thoughts from you. It'll be emailed today again as we're still working the phone kinks out. So send an email or tweet at us at Schmidt underscore radio, Chris Schmidt at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal, uh, Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Through the magic of Skype, we are going to put a quarter in the machine and uh, hear from Mike Babcock. Excited to hear from Babbers, a little Husker football thoughts and some Husker baseball in hour two. Brad Edwards uh, has been working on a, on a really cool book uh, on uh, Alabama's dominance. And uh, we'll get some Nebraska football thoughts when we talk dominance. Uh, the era of the 90s comes up from Nebraska so we'll spend some time with uh, college football insider Brad Edwards. I'm used to rattling the phone numbers off. If you want to DM the ESPN Lincoln Twitter account at some point, we'll still play the sounder for the ESPN Memorial Day kickoff qualification. The grill, the gift card to Campbell's, the gift card to Leon's, Gourmet Grocer. We'll do it that way. That's how we did it yesterday. Yeah, and, and the message receipts are open on the ESPN Lincoln Twitter page. Uh, I, I do check up on those if anyone ever sends in any messages. I, I, I do check in on those, and I think that's a that's a great method to get somebody qualified. We could just we could do first DM in first person to direct message. You want to do the first? I was to do the ninth. <laughs> oh, nine's a lot of DMs for me to go through. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so. Well, I, I think it'd be a fun little competition because it's it's not how we usually do it. You got to go into Twitter, and then I'm also not sure how many people out there in the listening audience are uh, following us on Twitter and making sure. So it's, 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 it's decent, but you know, it's usually a phone call away to just hit uh, hit speed dial and hope you're caller nine. Hopefully we can do that tomorrow. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm hoping for, for functional phone lines tomorrow, or that could destroy my uh, last day of school golf day with uh, some of the golf dads trying to squeeze in 18 between shows between KFOR in the morning at Hale Bar City in the afternoon. Oh, drink a Red Bull after that morning show, and you'll be you'll no, get, no, I'm you'll sure I'll, that first night. <laughs> I'm, but, it, but if I'm unable to, I don't know, have Gary Barnett on tomorrow or or Brandon Vogel tomorrow, I'm I'm going to be a little angry. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So kind of think a think of content, baby. So let's dive into the, the transfer portal, and and there's another name, and you know. Nebraska's lost a lot of skill position people from 2018 and 2019's recruiting class. And this is tough because you're going to wonder what could have been with Ronald Tompkins. And I tip my cap to Ronald Tompkins' tenacity 
uh, never quit attitude and perseverance because of all this this kid's been through for a game and a sport he loves. And he's quite frankly good at when he's healthy. And Ronald Tompkins, Grayson, Georgia, uh, we know the story, right? The story is uh, elite running back, elite running back that Alabama wanted, that Florida State wanted, that LSU wanted, that Auburn wanted, that Nebraska. I mean, go down the list, and Ronald Tompkins can carry the football for one of those football programs, and then the injury happens, and programs run. Programs run. And we're talking an ACL injury uh, junior year of high school. Okay, we're talking another knee injury senior year of high school. And then we're talking another injury setback when he gets to Nebraska. So to Nebraska's credit, Scott Frost, Ryan Held, they say, son, we, we offer you, we like you. We think we got a, a home run here that is a bit damaged because of, of your injury history. So we're going to stick with you, and we hope things work out. Tompkins, in his social media posting, Thank Nebraska for you know changing his life, for giving him an opportunity to play ball, for giving him an opportunity and support academically. And you know Tompkins right now, you look at that running back room. You've got uh, Irvin, you've got Ramir Johnson, you've got Morrison, you've got Scott, you've got Yent, you've got some walk-ons, and you've got Step as well, who's who's dinged up. And there's there's two sides to this coin. A Right, there's no front runner right now. So if there's a running back room in the country to make headway in, it's this one. But as spring went, you know, what was Tompkins' availability? I don't know this, and I don't know his his up-to-date injury history. I know that there was time missed this spring. And I think Tompkins with three knee, knee, knee issues, right, two ACLs, and then a setback to one of those knees when he gets to Nebraska. I think he's a guy that can go for a little while. And I think what he can give you is nice. But you saw limited touches last fall, all right? And you hadn't seen a lot of them other than, wow, when we see him healthy on the practice field, he's a slasher. He can get downfield. He can he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can do everything Nebraska wants a running back to do. It's can he do it on the practice field consistently? And then is he ready for the lights game time? Because there's just been inconsistency due to knee injury, due to lingering issues with his health, where it, it's a trust factor, and you got to be available to be used to earn trust. And, and that, that's also fair from, from the coach's standpoint. So I hope Tompkins finds his way to another program. And I hope Tompkins turns into uh, your, your old boy, the Mile High Salute. Terrell Davis. Yeah, Terrell Davis never really played at Georgia. Terrell Davis never really got much of a sniff and was a flyer sixth-round pick by Denver. Yeah, and he didn't finally make a name for himself until preseason on special teams. He wasn't. He was probably going to get cut, and then he went down one play uh, on a special teams game and just absolutely lit up uh, some Pro Bowl-type guy. Um, lit this dude up. We'll, we'll, we'll go with Mel Gray. Yeah, <laughs> lit him up on kickoff, and uh, coach of the time was uh, Bob Gibb. You're the donkey fan. Yeah, yeah. This is before my time. I wasn't alive at the time. Um, 
coach before Shanahan. I think it was Gibbs. Well, Alex Gibbs was the run game coordinator. It's probably Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves. That's the name I couldn't think of. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway. Dan Reeves were, were, were wranglers and sport coats and ties. All right? I, mean, I love Dan Reeves. Yeah. So, so Dan Reeves is the coach, and he, he sees Trell Davis do this and goes, okay, wow. Starts giving him some more reps at running back, and the rest is history. Trell Davis ends up winning a Super Bowl. So, so was Reeves. Later. <laughs> yeah, Reeves. Reeves was gone shortly. But the point is, and I'm not calling Tompkins Terrell Davis. I'm saying... Terrell Davis is a guy that just didn't do anything ever at Georgia because he was always hurt. So I hope Tompkins finds health, first of all. I hope he finds happiness. I hope he finds a program. But the bigger topic of discussion is Nebraska's running backs, Mm -hmm. all right? And uh, you've got uh, the Duck R's that have all kind of ran away, all right? Miles and Wandale and the kid from Oregon. The kid that wanted to go to Oregon from Vegas, there was a kick kick returner briefly. There's been so many transfers that I, I'm losing names. Forgive me. The kid who fumbled against Michigan on the kickoff, he ended up having the uh, the workout issue where there was hospitalization. Was that Tajon? Yeah, Tajon Lindsay. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the Duck R's. Have I, I forgot, I forgot Tajon Lindsay was here. But I'm saying you've had Lindsay, you've had Wandale, you've had Miles. All right, the Duck R crew. And then you've gone after the JUCO and Greg Bell. Didn't like what was going on. Done. Left. Mo Washington. Done. Left. And I'm not putting Ronald Tompkins in the same quit category because that isn't true. Tompkins has had three knee issues and battled. He's been faithful to Nebraska. Nebraska's been faithful to him. Standing by one another. But I'm I'm interested here on, you know, picking the right guy and finding the right guy and keeping the right guy at running back because you had so many skill position departures. You just have. What do we scream about for Nebraska? They need some stability, continuity, and quite frankly, excellence at running back to help and go behind this offensive line to help the quarterback. You needed that wide receiver. They've upgraded quickly with the body types at wide receiver. And I just hope Nebraska's got a guy in the running back room and they have options that a couple dudes can step forward, mm-hmm. okay? Because you've lost too many guys you just missed or you just gambled or you reached. And there's two reaches there, one really in Mo Washington. He was a reach coming in, right? And you watch and see the talent, same with the Greg Bell. But from an attitude standpoint, and, and kind of a, a team mentality, clearly Bell and Washington didn't have that, right? They just, they just didn't, they didn't have it. You inherited Divino Zigbo, and for whatever reason, Ziggy was gathering dust with both staffs, and then Greg Bell's gone, and oh, well, here's Divino Zigbo, and Ziggy runs for a G and is still with Jacksonville. You go find Diedrich Mills, and I know Diedrich had some, some injury issues, but when he was healthy, he was a hell of a good back for you, okay? So now we we fast forward here. There's been a cup. There's been one inherited hit at running back in Ziggy. Mills was good for you when healthy. There's been a whole lot of departures, and now you're hoping on that room coming together where Irvin can continue to improve and and what areas he needs to get better at. And he's so young, it isn't fair to expect him to be great right away. We'll see what happens with Ramir Johnson. He was not 
available this spring. Morrison is a dude you're excited about, but you, you want to see. Uh, and you have Marvin Scott, who's working on his speed. And then there's the, the step question where you go get a grad transfer, but it, it's a foot issue that it doesn't sound like it's going to be a, a situation where it'll heal and it won't ever be a worry again. Okay. It, it may heal for a season, but yes, it will continue to be a worry. And then, yeah. and then you got a bluebird here with, with Coach Fish finding out about Yant and getting Yant into to Lincoln, and Yant could be nice in the Big Ten. And just, just look at the guys who have departed. Look at the guys who have stuck and compare the body types. I, I think it's obvious from a fan's perspective which type of back is going to succeed in the physical, rugged Big Ten. And, and it's, it's not the body types like Ramir Johnson. It's not the body types like... Uh, Mo Washington. Washington, Tyjon Lindsay, Wandale Robinson, nothing against those guys. I, I just think that Scott Frost and his staff have learned after three seasons in the Big Ten that, you know what, we need to go get these bigger backs. And then you have a guy like Jacquez Yant who wasn't that heralded coming into Nebraska. But when you look at his body type, it fits the Big Ten, and he's coming in and made a name for himself. I, I think this is just the staff realizing you know what, maybe these guys that we brought in that we thought were going to come in and revolutionize the Big Ten aren't going to do that. No, it's, and you know, to, to Mo's credit, he could cause a hell of a lot of problems against an Iowa and Wisconsin linebacker, but it was more so in the slot or in the passing yeah, he, game. He, he couldn't be the feature back. As a, as a runner, uh, he was was good enough but we're talking play after play pounding i'll never forget watching the minnesota game up there where it got ugly it was 34 to 7 and you know you have you have mo trying to bounce it outside when they're calling up the middle runs and and you 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 stuck with him and that was disastrous where it was just straight up insubordination Mm -hmm. from what was being called and what was what he was running so I just hope Nebraska, I'm glad that they've adjusted with what they want to do at running back, but it's time to find some guys that can stick and can play and and move forward because it, it's going to be uh, paramount for your offense to, to lean on a running game and, and let your, your big guys up front. You're going to have a good offensive line. You're supposed to have a good offensive line. You have more than five, so let them do their thing. And th- that kind of gets into – you know, a, a story Sam McEwen wrote uh, with, you know, senior year quarterbacks, right? Your senior thesis. Well, what's your senior year stat line going to look like? Most importantly is win total. And senior year quarterbacks for a lot of Nebraska's going back several. And Sam went all the way back to Steve Taylor. And Steve was kind of the, the first, co- I mean, Turner Gill and then Steve Taylor. Both those guys were, were big guys uh, to me growing up uh, in this state. Great quarterbacks. And then you kind of fast forward, and a lot of quarterbacks have had great final campaigns. And is Adrian Martinez, if it is his final campaign, in line for that? And when we talk about stats, I could see if things go well, if he gets support in a run game, if he gets wideouts to get open, if it all comes together where he has time and he's taking care of the football. You know, if you're looking at 3,000 yards total offense, on the low end, I think that'd be all right, where you're throwing for 2,500 to 3K and you're running for another 500, where you're you're a pass-first, run-second type setup versus you're just running every play because that's what the offense does best and that's what you do best. There needs to be a, a bit of a shift there. But from a touchdown-to-interception standpoint, I mean, it needs to be a 2-to-1 ratio, and you can still mix in some run-pass option 
uh, scrambles uh, with with Adrian at quarterback, and and I love being able to to possibly get him out on the move. Right? Is, is that something that we'll see more of? Saw a little bit of waggle action when they go with that single back set and uh, kind of the double tight look. Can we see more of that where you can? go with a double tight, you can get downhill with the run game, but you can also go play action and move Adrian on some bootleg stuff where there is a chance to keep or just find your tight end or find someone crossing like a Toure over the middle. And obviously it depends on opponent, but all I want from Adrian this year, give me 300 yards a game combined rushing and passing and give me two to three touchdowns a game from the quarterback. Zero turnovers. That's a lot to ask, but at the same time, if he can go do that every single game, Nebraska should be in a good position to go win every single game. Well, that's a good wish list. We'll dive into it with Mike Babcock, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Get his thoughts on some Husker baseball next. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back into it, it's Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Great to get caught up with Husker historian, Hall of Famer, and author Mike Babcock with us from Hail Varsity at MD Babs on Twitter. Babs, thanks for, for Zooming with us, man. We're, we're having to, to, to get creative here as we wait on the, uh, the phone system. But uh, that is a sweet Grateful Dead t-shirt, my friend. Well, thank you. It's one of about uh, five dozen that I have, much to the chagrin of my wife. What Um, is the Ohio State of your Grateful Dead t-shirt collection? Oh, gosh. I I like American Beauty. Okay. Uh, I think that's pretty, uh, that's pretty nice. You know, it's, 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 uh, not as scary looking as some of them, I guess. Uh, and uh, I always like that. Uh, I always like that album cover. So um, that's probably the one I'd go with on there. But you know, you're the, this is a, a Nebraska uh, sort of thing, and you're talking about the Ohio State. So that should probably be the one that I don't like most, right? Well, no, no. I, I was like you. Right now, if we're who's top of the Big Ten, it's it's Ohio okay. State football, right? And if, okay, if but you're, if baseball, it's Nebraska, so we could go there too. Yes, we could, and and thank you for the the reminder. And we'll get into that. Will Bolt spoke today, and you know what? Big weekend series coming up for Nebraska. How did uh, how did the presser go, and how do you feel about Nebraska going in? Well, you know, I I feel about the same as I have every time they've gone into a series because I think. As we've we've talked, Smitty, um, the team has taken on the personality of the coach. You know, it's a they're a bunch of grinders, and I really think that they take it one game at a time. You know, that's a cliche, but I I really think that's the way this team approaches it. Um, and you have to at this point because it's a four game pod. It's in Bloomington, Indiana. First game is against Indiana. Um, you're you're right now a game and a half ahead of Indiana because Indiana uh, stumbled yesterday um, and lost to Illinois uh, makeup game. So um, Nebraska is ahead of Michigan by a game game and a half ahead of Indiana. Um, the other team in the pot is Ohio State. Nebraska split with Ohio State earlier in the year, so I really think you have to look at it as. You know, get the Friday game against Indiana, then you'll look at the doubleheader on Saturday with Ohio State first, Indiana, 
and then finish up with Ohio State. And then, as we've talked before, um, next weekend, Michigan is scheduled to come to Lincoln. So uh, it's right there in front of Nebraska. And uh, you got to take advantage of the opportunity, but you can't get ahead of yourself. Nebraska's strength, if you had to pinpoint it, and it's a bit of a difficult question because they do a lot of things well, but if you had to hang your hat on on what makes Nebraska most dangerous, what is that? Well, I think that I think it's the approach. You know, um, you 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 do what you can to to score runs. You know, you don't rely on one guy. Um, you get the walks, you get the sacrifices. Um, you get the hits in the right direction to move up runner, even if it's an out. Um, you sacrifice yourself. It's really one through nine in that lineup. And an example of that, I think, would be Bryce Matthews, the freshman second baseman, um, mostly second base, who um, I think he's played in 27 of the games. He's driven in 25 runs. I mean, he was struggling a little bit early in the season, as sometimes freshmen do. Um, but uh, they stuck with him, driven in 25 runs, and he bats towards the bottom of the order, you know, often eight, sometimes seven. Uh, that's the kind of approach that you got to have. You know, Max Anderson, a freshman, uh, batting, uh, what, 340, leads a team, uh, had a great weekend last weekend and, and was the, is the Big Ten freshman of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, piece by piece, you know, everybody has to contribute in some way. The pitching – you know, uh, as uh, Bolt said, the second game last week, uh, Roach didn't wasn't sharp at all, but he scuffled. You know, he got through four and two-thirds innings and put them in a position where they could win, and that's what you have to have. Cade Povich has been solid as the, as the Friday starter, and that's, you know, if you look at the official release, that's the only set starting pitcher for the weekend is Povich. Mike Babcock's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Mike, you mentioned both Max Anderson and Cade Povich. Both of those guys are younger guys. Both went to high school in Nebraska. Just what can, what can you say about the local talent that's being infused on this Husker baseball team right now? Well, I think it's really important, uh, Elijah. And, and, you know, I put Griffin Everett in there as well. Um, Logan Foster has gotten an opportunity here lately. Um, I think that, you know, that's one of the things – when Nebraska had its College World Series teams, you got to the College World Series three times, there were Nebraska kids that played a significant role in that. And I think that you have to have that kind of um, influence on your roster. You've got to have those Nebraska kids. Uh, give them an opportunity. Uh, Jake Bunce. Um, that is an important um, in all aspects of it to get the good Nebraska kids um, because they know what it's about. Um, you know, they know what the expectation is. And then, you know, this team has, we've talked about those young guys, but this team has got great leadership among the veteran players and uh, a good mix again. And, you know, I think that that's important as well. So again, it's the pieces is a good mix of veterans and young guys, it's a good mix of Nebraska guys in there. Um, and uh, I just think that Nebraska has put itself in a position now where you've got two games against Indiana and three against Michigan down the stretch with two against Ohio State thrown in. 
Mike Babcock's with us here on Hale Varsity at MD Babs on Twitter. Uh, Babbers is hooking up with us via Zoom today, and uh, that's awesome that he's doing that. Elijah, the the computer is is not smoking in the studio yet. I'm surprised, actually. No, um, I'm surprised that this thing even had the capabilities to we download. Put, we Zoom. put a quarter in, and we just keep <laughs> playing. Man, is what we're doing. Uh, Mike, I want to go to football here and uh, get your reaction. Ronald Tompkins has entered the transfer portal and thought it was a pretty heartfelt social media posting by him. Really, really thankful for his opportunity, not only uh, by Nebraska, but also, you know, the the fact that really, uh, really appreciated the academic support that Nebraska provided. And that's really awesome to hear. It's too bad uh, with Tompkins uh, and just his injury history and Felt like it was time for him. He felt like it was time that, that he needed to look elsewhere uh, with that log jam at running back. A, uh, there's there's no settled or set starter, but uh, you look at Tompkins and just uh, honestly his injury history, it, it makes it tough to be able to to really depend on, you know, if he can stay healthy to keep grinding. I think if he could stay healthy, he's a guy that could have done nice things for the Big Red. Yeah, you know, I think so. And I, I think he's, you know, he's in that group. There are so many young running backs and the competition is, is there, you know, that uh, uh, when when you're slowed by injury and you can't get in there and do some things and show what you're capable of doing, um, it's just really tough on a guy. And I think that's, you know, that's the that's the situation with him. You know what? Uh, Step transferred in, thought he was going to be in the mix. He missed the spring because of injury. Um, and then you've got all the guy, Marvin Scott, the third, uh, uh, Urban, Yon, mm. uh, 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 Johnson. Uh, just, there, there are so many guys that are competing at that position that it's just tough. And this transfer portal thing is going to give guys opportunities that uh, uh, they wouldn't have had otherwise to uh, uh, seek a place where maybe there's a little bit more uh, of an opening to step in there and, and maybe contribute. But, yeah, I hated to see him go, but it didn't surprise me, again, because of the number of guys that are in that running back room that uh, that could emerge. Mike, uh, some of our friends at the World Herald did uh, did a story on uh, what, what kind of that senior year statistical outlook can look like for a Nebraska quarterback. Sammy McEwen did the story. And, you know, uh, historically speaking, Fourth-year starting quarterbacks at Nebraska have had really nice seasons and trying to project what what a good senior season would look like for Adrian Martinez, not just rushing and passing yards, but ultimately, uh, Babbers, the the win total, right? That's what is kind of the focus on, on many. It's just finding a way to get it done in some of those tight ball games. And in Adrian's career, he's put his team in position to, to hang on in some of those games. In some of the instances, uh, things have broke down around him or there's been a costly turnover. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different reasons why the record's 12 and 20, you know. Uh, anxious and interested to hear your take on, you know, some of those senior year Husker quarterbacks that, that really kind of stick with you. Obviously, Tommy Frazier and Eric Crouch, Phenomenal uh, final years. Crowd statistically wins the Heisman and really helped carry a, a good team into a title opportunity. 
Uh, Frazier, incredible, of course. And and then, I mean, you go back to the Steve Taylors, you look at uh, Godowski. Uh, Zach Taylor had a great senior season. Jamal Lord was fantastic uh, from a total yardage standpoint. I mean, there's think of this, this, this fifth-year senior quarterbacks at Nebraska. Adrian going into year four. What what does next year need to look like? Well, I, you want to throw Keith McCann in there as well. Keithan was great. McGinowski was phenomenal. I mean, Nebraska really, by the time guys got to that final season, Babbers, they, they, they had it down. Yeah. And, you know, and it, you know, Kodowski, I'm glad you mentioned him because if he would have redshirted, he didn't want to redshirt. Think about it because he was playing behind Stephen Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, think if he had redshirted and had one more year because he had a remarkable senior year. Uh, two interceptions, I think, during the regular season. Uh, 19 touchdown passes, something like that. Um, just a remarkable year, and he, he almost rushed for 1,000 yards. Um, Scott Frost, uh, senior year. But, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think Martinez is going to have a, an outstanding year. But, it, you know, as in every case, it depends to some degree on the guys around him. And uh, let them get the job done. Let those guys up front get the job done. Give him some protection. Give him some time. Uh, get a little bit of a running game going so that it's not all on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think are going to define uh, Adrian Martinez in his senior year because I think that he has the ability if he's healthy. Um, he's got the leadership ability. He's got the ability to run the ball and control the ball. Um, he's got the pieces himself. Um, it's the pieces around him that have to come through, I think, um, that are going to define what kind of a senior season he has. And we're back. Fellas, I think we could listen to the radio On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back in, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. A few more minutes with Mike Babcock as we talk quarterbacks in their senior season. What kind of comes to your mind when you think of Tommy Armstrong or Taylor Martinez, two guys that that put up a lot of yards, won a lot of big games, led a lot of comebacks. And th- to me, they're, they're, they're kind of in, in the Rodney Dangerfield category of, of quarterbacks uh, along with uh, that, that no respect card, right? I mean, I, I think you, you were wowed by them in some of their moments, but they didn't win as much as some past quarterbacks. So and the, kind of the Jamal Lord category too, right? As history's gone on, I think you can stop and say, wow, <laughs> Jamal's a pretty good quarterback, especially that jump from junior to senior year. Uh, do, you, do you look at, at, at Taylor and, and Tommy in that, in that same light or, or not? Yeah, to some extent. The thing with Taylor is that, you know, he, he set a pretty high standard for himself, you know, as a as a young quarterback. You know, what he did, it was just a kind of a different experience. He was he was so good. He put up such good numbers. And the expectations were so high um, that, uh, you know, it was difficult to, for him to meet those standards. You know, people expect you to keep getting better and better and better. And again, the pieces around you, it depends on that to some extent. So, I, you know, I don't think either, I, I don't think uh, Taylor Martinez, T-Magic, and, uh, or, or Tommy Armstrong probably get the credit that they deserve. Uh, and in part, that's because of what happened, you know, to the team maybe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
you know, it all comes back to the quarterback when things don't go wrong, don't go right. And when things do go right, it's all on the quarterback. So you have to take into account that. Mike, probably enough time here for what, what one last thought here. Uh, well, with just news breaking this week, the mask mandate ends in Lincoln on Friday. Uh, we heard from the NCA that they'll be going 100% at postseason events, uh, assuming that follows state and local guidelines. So as of right now, with Garth Brooks coming to Lincoln in August, we got to assume it's going to be full capacity at Memorial Stadium uh, come August uh, 29th. It'll it'll be September for that opener, but yeah, yeah. but on the road in Champaign, probably 100% capacity. Do you feel like the Big Ten will, will follow suit with that, Babbers? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would guess that that's probably going to be the case. Then then it becomes, you know, are some fans going to be reluctant to to come? Still, I mean, it, you know, you can say there's going to be 90,000 for Garth Brooks, but you know, are people going to be willing to do that at that point? I mean, it certainly is letting up. And, you know, you hear people in positions of authority saying, you know, it's and we're on the downside of this thing. But ultimately, it's for the individual to decide whether uh, uh, they're going to they're going to be involved or not. So I, I think it'll be interesting, but I think yeah, they'll open it up and I think the opportunity will be there. It'll just depend on how people want to respond to uh, uh, the situation and, and whether they want to, uh, you know, whether they feel like it's it's. It's safe enough to do that. Do that, Mike. Always fun to chat, bud. Thanks for jumping on Zoom with us. Have a great weekend. We'll be following your tweets and coverage of Oscar baseball at MD Babs on Twitter. You read Mike with HailVarsity.com, HailVarsity Magazine. Babbers, last thought, the yearbook's going to be outstanding. I know you and the crew at Hail Varsity have been working on it. What, uh, what's a little bit of a tease for us that want to get a hold of this yearbook? Well, I'm working on a story that um, – 71 defense, you know, Ooh. 71 team, one of the best in, in the 20th century. Uh, and uh, sometimes people forget about the defense. I'm going to write a little bit about the defense. That was a pretty staunch defense, um, even even though Oklahoma got 31. Uh, you look at the rest of what happened that season, uh, pretty tough defense. Can't wait for that feature. Mike Babcock with us. Babbers, have a good rest of your day. Thanks for the time. Thanks for putting this together, guys. Good to talk with Mike Babcock, and we're talking, you know, best ever, and Twitter's been awesome today, and you can rarely say that uh, when it comes to the uh, the negativity and tone a lot of times. That's what makes Twitter awesome. You can always <laughs> leave, right, and lock the door. But uh, you had Pro Football Focus's Anthony Tresh <laughs> um, put out the, the the tweet. Do you agree? The, the might be... Could be. It is the best deep threat in history. And he's talking to Rekill. All right. And Twitter's blown up. And, you know, excuse us, Randy Sham Wow guy is what they're they're painting the guy. <laughs> Sham Wow guy says Tariq Hill's the best deep threat in the history of football. And lovers and haters of Randy Moss have come forward and said, dude, no, it's it's Randy Moss. You can throw Jerry Rice into the argument. You're a big Megatron guy. I wish Megatron would have played ball somewhere other than Detroit. Terrell Owens uh, was fantastic. I'm kind of, and I'm not saying he was the best ever. I'm a big Mark Clayton and Mark Duper guy with the Dolphins way back when, but I mean they're not in the conversation. Tariq Hill might be the fastest deep threat ever. Oh, he's the best deep threat in the NFL right now. There's no question in my mind about that. But I'm saying it's it's apples and oranges, except for history and championships. 
Um, you got history with with Moss, right? And you've got the the numbers. I mean, we're talking 45, 40-plus yard touchdown receptions. Moss didn't win a ring, which is too bad. Tariq has won. And, you know, we, we reached out. What's Eric Warfield say? A, a chief and a guy who deed up Randy Moss. And Warfield got back to me via text. I love Tariq, but there's no way I would take him over Randy Moss. Randy's a true threat one-on-one. Throw it anywhere. And he beat most players' defenses or bubble coverages and double coverages. So Tariq is putting an offense that gives him an advantage because of these routes, these certain routes he can run and where you can place him and the quarterback he has. I mean, Moss, think of the quarterbacks Moss went through. I mean, we're talking Warren Moon, Randall Cunningham, and I love both of them, Dante Culpepper, whoever the hell was in Oakland. And then it worked out well with Tom Brady. But uh, the, the, the speed and skill set's incredible. It, but, but Randy's an entirely different animal, and he's on an island by himself. That from our friend Eric Warfield, who played the NFL for nine years. And I agree with Eric 100%. Uh, what, what I'll say is, look at a, a guy, I mean, the, 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 the longevity of a, of a speedster in the NFL usually is not the same as that 6'4 wide receiver, big body, who can go up and, and win every single jump ball. Look at Deshaun Jackson in Philadelphia. For a time, he was probably the best he was, in the NFL. He was awesome, and he was so hard to take in the locker room. But Deshaun was phenomenal. I'll never forget this, you know, being a fantasy geek, having Randy Moss for a lot of his career on my fantasy team where – Randy Moss's stat line against Dallas was three catches, 163 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, Moss was was so much fun to watch, and Daryl Rivas was great, and Daryl Rivas got paid a whole lot of money because of what he could do against Randy Moss. But and Tariq Hill, the thing that, that, that wows me about Tariq is you put him in the slot, you run him, and, and he outruns double coverage on that slot route from the seam, the right hash mark all the way to the, the left corner of the end zone where Mahomes will find him. And when you have the the option of Kelsey, Tariq, and, and throw another receiver in there, I mean, the route concepts are beautiful with the quarterback executing. But Randy Moss is phenomenal. We'll wind down hour one. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Some college football thoughts. Bama, Nebraska, their dominance, their greatness. A new book, Brad Edwards, College Football Insider, has been working on with uh, Saban's run. And we'll get his take and, and how it parallels Nebraska here in about 10 minutes. Uh, are you taking anyone but Randy Moss as the best deep threat in the NFL? Twitter says, give me boss or give me death. And a pro football focus writer said, yep, yeah, I like Tariq Hill. He's asking the question, is he the best? I'll say that Randy was probably, I mean, Megatron, how, how tall did Megatron go? Is he 6'5", like 260? Uh, I think 6'4", but let me look six, it four, up. Because Randy was 6'4 and, and 220 and had the basketball skill set to him. Uh, 6'5", 235 for, uh, for Calvin Johnson, but whenever I Google search Megatron height and weight, he was the second option, so I had to... Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, and then, you mean, uh, Julio Jones is also like that just giant 6'3 and a half, 6'4", 230, just tank that can sprint. 
Uh, T.O. was a big wide receiver, but, but Moss was so graceful and durable. I mean, they didn't send Randy over the middle a lot, but uh, on the fly routes and on the double teams, it was it was impressive. Tariq, though, like the, the, you're a safety and you come up to try and help the corner and he splits you and you get beat. I think Tariq's the fastest. I think Randy's the best. And we can't forget. Oh, right. for, Randy's for, close in terms of speed to Tyreek, though. 4-3? 4-2-9? 4-3? Yeah. I know Randy ran, ran, ran like a 4-3. It was incredible. But it, it wasn't electronically timed, I don't believe, at the time. Um, but still, I mean, Randy or Calvin Johnson ran a 4-3-5. That's insane. At 6 foot 5, 235? That's incredible. You think about that. That that is nuts. Uh, Let's talk about moving. Maybe it's time to cash in on that home that has escalated in value with the recent market. West Blue Realty, there for you. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding community. You're going to make a move, going to sell your home, westbluerealty.com, who you need to check in with. Uh, Just phenomenal work. Uh, by Tom Luby and Kelly Hofschneider. Give Tom a, a shout today at 402-540-3768 or call Kelly, Kelly Hofschneider, 402-202-2312. It pays to work with West Blue, westbluerealty.com. Get an appointment today, 1120 K Street, Suite 200. So let's qualify now on Twitter for the ESPN Memorial Day kickoff. And uh, we'll have uh, an announcement on Friday uh, who uh, is going to get the grill, the gift card to Campbell's Nursery and Garden Center, and the gift card to Leon's Gourmet Grocer. That will help take care of some of that meat for your grill. Had some incredible kebabs from Leon's, and quite frankly, a pork chop to die for. Uh, So (laughs) it's Schmidt approved. But uh, you want to do number, just be the first to DM us at ESPN Lincoln on Twitter. Is that what you want to do today, Elijah? Yeah, I got, I got the Twitter page pulled up. I'm just awaiting somebody to send in the direct message. DM at ESPN Lincoln. Name and contact info. If you're the first to do it, we'll throw your name in the box. And you'll qualify for Friday, the ESPN Memorial Day kickoff. It's been a fun contest the last couple of weeks to get folks qualified for the grill uh, from Capital Patio and the Flame Shop. They'll give you some rub, and they'll also give you uh, a brush to uh, clean said grill. Uh, that gift card to, to Leon's Gourmet Grocer, that gift card to, to Campbell's Nursery and Garden Center to spruce up the backyard. Not a single DM yet. It's still open for noon out there. DM it now. Name and contact info at ESPN Lincoln. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. Back into it at Tower 2, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's talk some college football. We welcome in college football insider, friend of the show, Brad Edwards, at Edwards on Twitter. Brad, good to spend some time, and what's, uh, what's new in your world? What's been going on? Thanks for joining us. Oh, you got it. Happy to be here. Uh, I've been working on a book. I, I might have told you about it right at the end of, of the last season, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm writing a book on basically the Saban era at Alabama and how dominant they've been, not only, you know, compared to the rest of college football over the last 12 to 13 years, uh, but also how many things they've done over this time that are either unprecedented in the history of college football or have done been done very few times in college football history and a lot of them not for a very long time. And so uh, it really is just kind of painting a picture of how unbelievable this era is for that program. And obviously it's a program that had plenty of, of, of great history prior to this. Uh, but I, I think Alabama fans have gotten so spoiled, and understandably so in, in recent years, that they have a hard time appreciating how great it is what they're actually witnessing. Um, maybe they'll appreciate it more once Saban is gone, but that's kind of why I'm doing this book is just to give them perspective on exactly what's happened and and how unbelievable it, it actually is. Brad Edwards with us. You mentioned spoiled and fan base and appreciative, and I think uh, I think in Nebraska fans and and there are some that are spoiled. Count me in that group. As a kid growing up, you just kind of show up Saturdays and expect a win, a cover, and uh, NFL talent, you know? And um, uh, that's not how it's always going to go. And, you know, I'm interested here, as you kind of look at at Saban and his run, you're a a Bama guy. You went to college there, and and you were around the program their last high point, i.e. the Stallings era. And I remember that really well because they they knocked off Miami. And we up here in Lincoln uh, back in 1992 really cheered that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, what 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 were you expecting from from Saban when he took over? I know he had success at LSU, but he'd gone to, to, to be with the Dolphins. And you know how big a pressure cooker that, that, that Bama job is, plus the shadow of Bear. Yeah, I, I mentioned in the in the preface to the book that when he was hired, he came in, and um, I don't know if you recall seeing this, but there was a big crowd of people at the airport, including some crazy fans. There was one woman who was drunk and came up and, and started kissing him. Uh, but but there were there were a, a lot of fans out there waiting at the the Tuscaloosa airport for him to arrive along with the athletic director, um, and just to, to celebrate him being named head coach, which I mentioned was just kind of odd because here's a guy who, yeah, sure, he'd won one national title at, at LSU three years earlier, um, but he hadn't won anything at Alabama yet. And, and I was just surprised that there seemed to be that much confidence. And, and maybe it was because he had won at LSU and that there were Alabama fans that felt like, okay, if he can win one championship – uh, at LSU, he should be able to win at least one at Alabama, maybe two. Uh, but as I wrote, not even the the most radical fanatic out there would have predicted what was going to happen over the next 14 years, because it's something that never happened before. And and Bear Bryant had never done it. You know, I, I don't think that in their wildest dreams, Alabama fans would have imagined that he would ever enter the conversation of greatest football coach in Alabama history forget college football overall although I think the, the two kind of go hand in hand given what Bryant's profile was and so um, I, I think that's a big part of this which is that the expectations were really high um, but he has exceeded them by by such a margin um, that it really is incomprehensible and uh, and the fact that it's still going 
you know, we, I mean, at, at this point, I, I have at the very end of the book, I have a comparison, you know, they, they've won now six national titles in 12 years. I have a comparison of the first six years of those 12 to the last six. And in, in both six year spans, they won three national championships, but there are a lot of other key categories where the last six years, the more recent six have been much more impressive than the first six. And so the indication from that is maybe the program is still getting better mm. at the very least. It's not tailing off, which is what a lot of fans uh, of other programs want to hope is happening every time they play a close game, certainly every time they lose one, but there's really no evidence to suggest that this is going to end anytime soon. And, and those who follow recruiting may know that the, the signing class that Alabama just had uh, it, is rated as the best signing class ever by the uh, 24-7 sports composite. Take that for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. By the way, the Alabama signing class that that just had all these guys drafted in the last two drafts, the 2017 class, is now rated as the third highest. Um, and so they were right about that class. Uh, and and I, I don't know what to make of this, but but that's the thing about it is that um, there doesn't appear to be an end in, in sight if you, if you look at the momentum of the program. That's what's just incredible of not only, yeah, you can get really good talent, but can that talent produce at the college level? Not only did it produce at the college level, it won championships, and then, oh, by the way, it went in the first or second round. I mean, it was the whole the whole meal deal. Brad Edwards with his college football insider. We're talking about his book on the Saban era and the 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 three titles in in each six year kind of block is incredible. What 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 wows me is not only is he losing assistance every year or every other year, but he's losing assistants that are trying to beat him and have his blueprint or know how the the sauce is made, so to speak. And he's we're talking they're going to Georgia or they're going to Tennessee or uh, you know Bloxley's in Maryland in the Big Ten. So he's not yeah, losing Kiffin at Ole Miss. Yeah, Ole yeah, Miss. yeah. Kiffin, Kiffin gave him as as tough of a test as anybody last season. Yes, yeah, and he and and Saban is, I don't know if he's happy about it, but he's supportive because he's he's been that assistant before, right? You know, to to Belichick in Cleveland. So he gets working for for a taskmaster, and he is one himself. But what wows you most about what he's done? Is it? Handling the pressure, is it the the constant never putting his feet up? I mean, he's always on edge, man. He's ready to go recruit yeah. and win the next day after winning it. He has no no off switch. Or is it just being so right on, on, on the talent and then developing that talent? I mean, if you were to pinpoint one of many wow factors, what is it? Well, I think it starts with his lack of complacency. And you hear every coach preaches this to his team coming off of a great season you know, don't get complacent. You know, you haven't accomplished anything this season, you know, last season no longer matters. This is a new team. You got to go out and prove yourself all over again, blah, blah, blah. They all say it, but a lot of the same coaches who say it fall into that trap themselves where they're not quite as intense as they were before. And they rest on their laurels to some extent. And you never catch Saban doing that. I mean, in, in recent years, he has actually smiled a little bit in the post-game ceremony as they've received the trophy. Uh, but, but man, it is, it is back to work the very next day. And he just has this, this fear of losing that drives him. And I, I think that's what's allowed him to be so great. You know, I, I look at, 
at the way that he's adjusted to changes over the years. Um, you know, you look at at not only some of the rule changes in recruiting, but the you know the start of the early signing period, and that got him. Like the very first year, I think he underestimated. He'll probably admit that he underestimated the impact of players signing in December, and they had their worst signing class in the last 14 years that season. But he came back the very next year, ranked number one. And, and so unlike a lot of coaches out there, it it doesn't take much for him to recognize that he needs to improve in a certain area and go out and do it. You, you look at, at some of the, the games that they played in like 2000, We'll start in 2012, the, the problems they had with Johnny Manziel mm -hmm. and a loss. But they had some games in 2013, 2014, where they almost lost. And just coming close to losing is what motivated Saban to say, I've got to make some changes. I, I've got to change my philosophy on the types of players I have up front on defense, get faster. Um, he changed his philosophy on how to play offense, which is, okay, if everyone's going to spread them out and if the rules are going to be friendly to teams that do that, uh, we're going to go up tempo. We're going to run the quarterback. You know, they've gone RPO, all sorts of stuff. And, and he's been, uh, I wouldn't say he's actually been an innovator, but he's been very quick to jump on the things that are most effective on, on each side of the ball in order to stay with the times and and most coaches it requires them to have a bad season or two before they're willing to say hey you know what we got to make some changes and that was even evident at alabama with bear bryant and he he dominated for a stretch in the 60s and then the late 60s and 1970 he struggled and that was when he said all right we've got to make a change he switched to the wishbone and you know, almost one in 71, but Nebraska got in his way. And then he ended up, you know, dominating the SEC throughout that decade, won a few more national titles. But but that's that's common among coaches that usually it takes something pretty severe for a wake up call and saying that's never been the case. And you just you mentioned the, the number of assistants that he's lost over the years and it, it hasn't had an impact. Um, he's obviously losing great players, not just seniors, but underclassmen going in bulk in the first and second rounds every single year. That hasn't slowed him down. And the only way that doesn't slow you down is if you're signing number one classes every year and you are hitting on the majority of those guys. And uh, all of that stuff has combined to for them to be in a position where uh, I have a, a page in there that mentions that if if, if you look at their their record their record and ranking based on on each stage of the season 96 percent of the games they've played since 2008 they were a national title contender entering that game <laughs> only seven games out of 180 did they take the field where they were not playing personal championship or didn't you know didn't have a national championship potentially riding on whether they won or lost the game and that that consistency, I think, says so much of, about what he's done. Talking with Brad Edwards here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, and Brad, with all this in mind, all this greatness of Nick Saban, where do you think he'll rank in, in terms of the all-time great coaches uh, when it's all said and done? And then just as a quick follow-up to that, when do you think Nick Saban's career will be all said and done? How, how much longer does he have at Alabama? There was a time probably seven or so years ago when – I didn't think he'd coach more than five, you know, extra seasons. And of course we're way past that now. And that's, 
at this point, yeah, based on what happened with, with COVID and him having one false positive and another positive where he had to spend some time at home while the team was out there practicing and then, and then playing, that was incredibly frustrating for him. He's, he's been you know pretty candid about that. And he said that he didn't like being at home. His wife didn't like having him at home. She has her routine. And so um, I don't think he has any interest in sitting at home and not being out there coaching because he got a taste of it and he hated it. So as long as he's healthy, I can, I can see him going another six to eight years. Now, of course, you know, he's such a perfectionist that if, if the product, if the product on the field starts to slip, then maybe he would rethink that. But, you know, as, as we've covered, there's, there's no reason to believe that it's slipping as far as where he'll ultimately rank. I mean, I, I think barring, some end of his career similar to Bobby Bowden, you know, where he hung on for about eight years or so too long and the game had passed him by at the end and his program had slipped from being great to being average. Um, that's, that's the only type of scenario I can see where when he hangs it up, there is some doubt as to whether he's the greatest coach of all time. Uh, and, and I say that because he's now done it over such a long stretch that it really is difficult to put anyone else against him. You know, the, the the subtitle of my book is why Alabama now owns the greatest decade plus run in college football history. And the reason I focus on decade plus is because there are plenty of other programs that if you take a stretch of five, six, seven years, you could put them up against Alabama and at least make an argument that they were as good over that long, long of a time. When you start to get to 10, 11, 12 years, you know, I, I think you got to go back to Yale in the late 1800s, early 1900s, which quite honestly wasn't even football as we know it today. I mean, the, the scoring system was different. The, the rules were different. There wasn't the forward pass wasn't even legalized then. They were only playing teams from the Northeast. Um, but as far as on field results over that amount of time, I mean, you look at that stretch that Florida State had uh, under Bobby Bowden when when they were at their height. They had 14 straight seasons, 87 to 2000, where they ranked, I believe it was top four in the final AP poll, but they only won two national titles in 14 years. He's won six and 12. You can't compare those two. So um, I don't know, like, like, like I said, unless things fall apart, unless they unravel at the end, it's hard for me to believe that even the people who hate Alabama would reluctantly admit that he's, he's the greatest coach this sport has seen. Few minutes, Brad Edwards with us, uh, college football insider, long time with ESPN College Football, College Game Day, his work with uh, Alabama, the program, and uh, the uh, the Saban greatness. And we'll check in next segment with Brad here on some of those parallels, not only the the Nebraska influence with Saban, but also just where the Bama run stacks up to. TO's run of 60 and 3. And uh, CBS Sports is out with their coaches' rankings for the Power Five. We'll tell you where Frost comes in here next. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Brad Edwards with us, Hale Varsity Radio. We're talking about his book on Alabama and Nick Saban. Brad, what's the, the title of, of your book? Yeah, it's it's called Dynasty by the Numbers, and I, I gave you the the subtitle. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a you know I'm a numbers guy, mm-hmm. and it's it's a numbers focused book. Now, 
if you write paragraph after paragraph about numbers, it's going to be really uninteresting, if if not uh, completely boring. And so the, the book is pretty much page after page of data visualization. And for those who don't know what that term is, it basically is it's graphs and charts. Okay, so there are a lot of graphics that are really demonstrating what the numbers show. And I think what it helps you appreciate, it, it's, it's over the last 12 or 13 years, not just that Alabama has been the best team in college football, everybody knows that, but how much better they've been than everyone else. And it really is crazy. When you look at, you know, 2009 to present, 2008 to present, even a program that's been as consistent as Ohio State has, some of these numbers, I mean, these, and these are, you know, things like consensus All-Americans. Alabama has three times as many as Ohio State does, three times as many as LSU or Oklahoma or Clemson. All the other programs that have been up there and have been good this entire time, they just don't, don't come close in a lot of these areas. And so I think that's really the impact of the book. It's not to make a claim that, you know, Alabama is, is the best, which, like I said, is something that everyone would agree on but it's how much better they've been than everyone else. And and that's really the focus of it. Brad, I want to end with this and uh, some of the parallels, because you know college football, you know its history, and uh, the work you've done on, on the run over 12-plus years with Saban's super impressive. What parallels do you see, and how does this Saban run – kind of match up and and compare to Coach Osborne's final few years. And Nebraska fans still really proud of of that 93 through 97 stretch yeah. where there's three titles, there's a 60 and three mark, and, and that is held in high regard. And, you know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda, Nebraska woulda, coulda, shoulda, maybe won five or played for five titles, they ended up taking three down. But uh, there was also the crossover and – and influence uh, of of Osborne and and Coach McBride with Saban and just talking with Coach McBride like we do, you know, uh, Nick and, and Charlie were close and Saban, his Michigan State teams had a home and home with Nebraska in 95 and 96. And it didn't go so well for Saban, did it? <laughs> no, it, it, it didn't, but there was some brain picking that went on and um I think there's there's some a lot of the, the '90s Nebraska in in this this Alabama blueprint, and you know wh- what if any uh, Nebraska comparisons comparisons show up uh, with with some of your research. Yeah, when I, when I said earlier that I think I think there are a few programs that could pull a stretch of five, six, seven years and put it up against the best five, six, seven years that Saban's had, and you know, have a a pretty strong argument. And what you said, 93 to 97 with Nebraska is one of those. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and of course you can go back further with Nebraska where you had, I don't remember how long that stretch was of nine win seasons, which, you know, back when they were only playing 11 game regular seasons was a much bigger deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think people kind of lose perspective on that today when they look back at those records, but uh, you know, it wasn't just those seasons, those five, I mean, that was the pinnacle. Um, but they were really good for a long time. Uh, and and so it's it's kind of, um, I mean, they're in there. You know, they're, they're one of those programs that, that you would look at as having a long stretch at which they were really good. But a lot of the numbers are not going to stack up to what Alabama has done over an equivalent number of seasons because of the national titles, because sure. of 
the number of first round picks, like I said, the consensus, all Americans, all sorts of things like that. Um, and, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad to me. I mean, I guess it's gonna be more sad to your audience, but it's sad to me looking at this and seeing programs like Nebraska, um, as I have done the research and how much they've fallen off, you know, you look at, at, at those types of things, the, the frequency of all Americans, the frequency of first round picks, uh, obviously the championships and, and Nebraska is, is, you know, they stick out like a sore thumb when you start looking at, at that in the last 15 years or so compared to the previous 15. Uh, but there's some other programs like Miami, like Tennessee uh, and Tennessee was never, you know, at that level as far as winning national championships, but it wasn't that long of that long ago that there was a stretch of 12 years where Tennessee actually had the most first round picks of any program in college football. I mean, that's, that's hard to believe now. Um, but they were that good at churning out talent. And, and yeah, you see these programs that have dropped off and it's just, you know, the question is, is there a guy like a Saban? I, I don't know if there's a next Saban, but is there a guy who's just so good that you may say that a program like a Nebraska or like a Miami will never be able to recreate what they had. But I'm not so sure. I mean, if, if there's another guy similar to Saban, he, I think Saban could do that at a number of, maybe not to the level he's done it at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying he could go win a national championship at Kansas, but I think there are a whole lot of programs out there that if Saban had landed there instead of Alabama, he probably would have won one or two national titles. And so um, I, I guess at the same time as it being sad, I think there's a reason for optimism, which is you get the right coach, you got the right infrastructure, and, Alabama, and uh, Nebraska does. Mm -hmm. Right coach is going to win. Brad Edwards with us, Hail Varsity Radio. Brad, this was awesome. We'll uh, get caught up again closer to college football season and great work on your book. Excited to read it. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Great talking to you again. It's been a while. Good stuff from Brad Edwards, college football insider. Nice info and thoughts on Nebraska. That leads us into our conversation about coach rankings. And CBS Sports is out with their uh, their ranking 65 through 1. And they do this every year. And back-to-back uh, -back days of, well, getting punched below the belt here, Elijah. Um, earlier in the week, it was Feinbaum. <laughs> And uh, talking hot seat about Scott Frost today, you have the uh, the the criteria is this: when they're when they're rating a coach, they look at on field performance, they look at recruiting prowess, and then you know what's your futures look like, what's future success look like, and I think that's where a lot of the hopes are at for Nebraska fans with Scott Frost. It's going to get better. In the future, the future is a few months away here for the 2021 season and, and beyond. But Scott Frost comes in with the CBS Sports College Football ranking in at number 47, just in front of Clay Helton at USC. And we're talking ninth in the Big Ten packing order. He is in front of Brahm. He's in front of Mel Tucker. He's in front of... Uh, Loxley at Maryland. But Fleck comes in at 25. Harbaugh still in the top 25 at 23. Tom Allen in at 20. Christ at 18. Captain Kirk at 17. Franklin of Penn State at 13. Fitz at 8. Ryan Day at 4. Uh, Scott Frost is 
Well, not even top half of the Power Five. And the thing that is highlighted here is Frost dropped 13 spots from last year to this year. So he was 30. 34th going into the 2020 season dudes dropped 22 spots in two seasons and kind of the the little tag they wrote with the salmation is that the 13 and 0 central florida season seems to just keep getting further and further away which with each loss so uh, slapped on both cheeks this week, Coach Frost. And uh, as a Nebraska fan, you can get angry with it. As a Nebraska fan, you can look at it and say, well, time to, to kind of prove it and put some wins up. I'll say this. I think, I think Nebraska on paper is recruited well, and I think that on paper is turned into on field. When you look at a guy like Ty Robinson, when you get a look at a guy like Turner Corcoran, um, you look at a guy like uh, Toure, and I know that's a portal, but he's still on campus, right? Omar Manning, got to, got to see him be an every down, every day guy. And then Betts, okay? I, I look at uh, Nebraska's linebacking core, specifically the inside linebackers. I like what I see there. It sucks that Honus isn't there. And Nebraska's secondary, aside from Dismuke, are all Nebraska recruits during the Frost era. So, I, I like how a lot of the, the talent has transferred and even what you've inherited, the, the JoJo Domans. That guy is a special football player. Cam Taylor Britt's a special football player. And we'll see what's what's going to happen with Adrian. He can be a special football player, super talented. I, I think Nebraska right now, uh, their biggest fallback here that, that puts the question mark there with their future success is past history. And they've not always had the dudes, obviously, to compete with Ohio State, but they've had the dudes to to compete and beat Northwestern. Haven't. They've had the dudes to compete and beat Minnesota. They haven't. And you've got two examples there of of coaches that just overachieve and and find a way i mean their system their training their development whatever i mean they they get it handled wisconsin's been a perennial top 15 program right i mean i know that they were on the verge of taking that next step after their 13 and 1 orange bowl season then they went 8 and 5 and then they they got back to being wisconsin wisconsin just nebraska's got to be better at development and i think i think you're seeing some of that with the Ty Robinsons, with uh, the Cam Jurgens, okay, with your your linebacking core, with your with your secondary players, Nebraska. It's not like they haven't developed anybody. I mean, you look at a guy like Rymers, kind of out of nowhere, was supposed to be headed to South Dakota State. You get him, and he's going to be a major factor for you. So I think Nebraska has developed okay, but they've not developed at the level. Of, of Fleck or Northwestern with perceived lesser talent. Yeah, these rankings, though. No, I know, they, but, they, but I, I'm just saying that's mm-hmm. that's the national painting. You got Feinbaum one day, you got CBS Sports, Dennis Dodd the next with these rankings. And you, you can't really argue with the drop in rankings based on on-field performance. No, but, but these rankings are nothing more than power rankings. It's just whoever's hot at any given time. I mean, I would agree, I would agree though, with... 
I mean, have you seen enough of Indiana and Tom Allen to go, damn, he's a good coach? I mean, they have... Uh, yes or no? Uh, to Indiana? Yes or no? Sure. Yeah, you, but you're not you're not wowed. I'm not wowed. I mean, considering they have they have Kansas. Uh, who's the new guy? Leopold. Leopold. Yeah, he he's at 35 in here. He hasn't even coached at Kansas yet. He's done well at Buffalo. But God bless him. God, he's a Nebraska guy. I think he'll. I, I don't know if he'll do well at Kansas, but I think he's a good coach. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday. Dr. Doug Davis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Doug, how you doing? Doing pretty good, Chris. How are you? I'm good. We're uh, we're hanging in, and uh, it's kind of full-throttle baseball season, and that means some injuries. The Royals, one of the constants for him has been Danny Duffy, and let's start with old Duffy. Uh, a flexor strain for him, Dr. Doug, and that's a 10-day DL for him here. Lay out. What what a flexor strain is for for some of us, and and also just the uh, the, the nature of the injury. Yeah, so you know, with pitchers, um, what spins the ball um, for a pitcher is uh, the the subtle things that they do with their hand and their forearm uh, to uh, either by the grip of the ball or the way that they rotate their forearm, and uh, obviously in the major leagues the uh, you know, a guy like Duffy has got to have multiple pitches in order to be able to be an effective starter. And so um, there's a fair amount of strain that happens to the muscles that are required to to, to do that. And so um, when we talk about a flexor strain, uh, we're talking about those muscles that are on the uh, palm side of the forearm. And then uh, those muscles attach over along the inner aspect of the elbow. Um, and so they're the ones that are um, really trying to help with that spin of the ball. And uh, it's not uncommon for a pitcher to uh, create a strain pattern uh, in those muscles. It's often confused with what goes on with the ulnar collateral ligament or the Tommy John ligament. Mm-hmm. And so uh, those are those are the primary concerns. Anytime we you know, see one of the players, you know, that's complaining in that general area, we're trying to figure out, you know, is it a flexor strain or is it a um, uh, problem with the bone or is it a Tommy John mm-hmm. kind of an issue? Dr. Doug Tavis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Donk Wednesday. Danny Duffy, our topic. And, and that can probably scare a pitcher when you just kind of lay out three possibilities with that discomfort in the region of discomfort. What are some, some treatment options for a flexor strain other than, than rest, obviously? But what, what can you do medically for, for Duffy and other pitchers that, oh, all right, great, it's not uh, – it's not a, a tendonitis issue. It's not a, a Tommy John issue, but, man, it doesn't feel real good. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit it on the head when you said rest. You know, that's that's your primary uh, way of, of uh, controlling this. And, you know, for those guys, uh, it's no different than it is for, you know, the, the young kids that are playing baseball. Nobody wants to nobody wants to sit out, you know, and, and – uh, there are times where that's just exactly the right answer. And so um, in baseball, you know, you get put on a 10-day disabled list and, you know, you're, you're uh, not going to be throwing. Um, <laughs> but basically the, uh, the other things that we think about um, a, from a manual therapy kind of an approach, you do a lot of stretching with these muscles. 
a lot of times with a muscle strain, think about a hamstring strain, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, you're going to stretch that thing. Uh, you're going to get to that point where excursion of the of the joints that are involved, in this case, the hand, uh, uh, wrist, and elbow, those kinds of motions are no longer painful. Then you're going to start strengthening it up again. And so you'll start... Uh, using uh, the band exercises and things like that to build up that strength again. Um, And then the last component of it is getting back to uh, returning to throwing because obviously the arm needs to be conditioned to that again. Um, We'll also use a lot of modality treatments in the training room. Uh, We'll use electrical stimulation and ultrasound over those muscles. That can be very helpful. uh, physical therapy, things like uh, deep tissue massage can sometimes be the thing that really helps. Uh, you'll hear about things like dry needling, uh, which is, a, uh, oh, it's, uh, I guess the best comparison would be to say something akin to acupuncture um, that helps to decrease pain. Um, don't do a lot of injections on this kind of, uh, of a situation. Uh, you might consider a platelet-rich plasma injection if you had a really, you know, a really dramatic strain. Dr. Doug Tavis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Danny Duffy on our mind. Let's switch gears. And Kevin Piller with the New York Mets, uh, multiple nasal fractions. He was in the batter's box. Jamie Webb had a high fastball at 95 miles per hour. The Atlanta pitcher had got away from him, and uh, what a horrific scene. And uh, Pillar was uh, bruised up, uh, badly swollen, multiple fractures uh, with that nasal region. But he was there to, to be there for his teammates in, in game two, so this could have been very, very ugly. And it looked worse than it was, according to to the Met uh, Pillar. Dr. Doug, this is horrific, and, and how do you even start out uh, – from a mental standpoint, getting that in that back in that batter's box, man, because uh, this is one of those injuries that can linger with you for a while. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's it's the thing that you know, as parents that have kids out there playing baseball, you know, you worry about it. Uh, uh, you know, you know, as they get into the higher levels mm-hmm. of the game and and you know are facing these higher velocities of balls and. And as players, you know, it's a it's one of those things that that is very difficult to put out of your mind. Um, you know, the reality is that um, the with the nasal bones themselves, um, a fracture in those locations generally um, are going to be able to be treated pretty effectively, uh, non-operatively, and just and allowing time to heal. Sometimes they need to be reset a little bit, uh, but. Um, the ones that I really get more concerned about are, are when the ball uh, hits into the area of the eye socket mm-hmm. and, and the cheekbone. Um, uh, thinking of a player from this area when he was in college that uh, uh, had one hit his left side of his face and ended up having to have multiple uh, plates and screws put in to, to deal with that. So, um, you know, it, it is a constant uh, uh, for a batter, you know, as they're getting in there and, and uh, it's, it's just part of the, it is part of the game. Uh, the, the, the thing I think that is reality is that, you know, the pitchers are, are feeling, you know, terrible about it too. You know, when they, you know, if they throw, if they're the one throwing that ball, you know, they're, they're feeling bad too. So it's, it's a mental issue for both pitcher and batter, you know, as they come back into that situation, because, 
neither one of them want to go through that again. Dr. Doug Tavis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. We're spending time on Danny Duffy and then Kevin Piller hitting the face uh, by that fastball. Time will tell with the, the extent of the injury for Piller, but this turned out way better than it it looked like it was going to, and I guess that's something positive. It sounds like the CT scan that was done, which is really the way that you evaluate facial fractures, um, that, uh, you know, the overall uh, uh, damage was was um, um, uh, manageable mm-hmm. pretty well. Um, the uh, when when you see a report like multiple nasal fractures, you know it conjures up a lot of uh, a lot of uh, ill thoughts. But mm-hmm. you know that nasal bone is uh, is kind of a uh, oh, it's it's a bit like an eggshell. You know, if you if you um, press on it too hard, it's going to crack, and when it cracks, it'll crack in multiple little planes. And so it it you know may uh, those those reports like multiple nasal fractures can can really uh, conjure up some some really bad thoughts, but um, in reality, it, it it may just be more like, you know, you crack the eggshell kind mm-hmm. of a thing, and it didn't displace all that much. Dr. Doug Tavis, Dr. Doug, thanks for the time today. You bet, Chris. You take care. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, we'll dive into the mailbag tomorrow. Some interesting stuff in Stuart Mandel's mailbag from listener Mitch and uh, qualifier Mitch for the ESPN Lincoln uh, Memorial Day kickoff. Uh, an email response to get to, but first, a reminder to buckle up with your friends at the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska not wearing a seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury by up to 60%. Your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. So the, the plan is to have the phones fixed tomorrow. The plan is to dive into what success looks like for Nebraska football tomorrow and uh, future seasons with Scott Frost. And we'll talk to uh, Gary Barnett. We'll talk to uh, Brandon Vogel. We'll make his triumphant return. And we'll get some thoughts on the NBA postseason and some NHL with the pride of Chicago, Danny Burke, Burke's Best Bets. Email from our friend Ted. Uh, can email the show, Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Ted says, as painful as Brad's interview was, it was money. It wasn't mean-spirited, but he says what we need to hear. And Brad, pretty matter-of-fact with just how Bama goes about their business, how they do things, and, you know, the right guy can get it done in Nebraska. And, you know, that, that hypothetical... You know, what would Saban do at Kansas? What would he do in Lincoln? What would he have done at Ohio State? I think he's good enough, good enough coach to win. I think he's got it perfected down there because of his vicinity to talent. And it's just, it's self-fulfilling right now. You go to Bama, you work hard, you get better. You're really good, by the way. When we, when he, when we get you, we're going to make you great and you're going to go win a title. You might win three in six years because that's kind of been the track record. 
and part of that blueprint is is from Nebraska, which is great, but see what Nebraska can do getting back to some um, some prominence here. And, and I, to me, I, I'm, I'm worried about crawling. I'm worried about crawling to a warm climate, bold destination for Nebraska in 2022. Now, I've always been... At least, I shouldn't say always. Uh, recently, I've, I've been more in the boat that Nebraska's decade of dominance in the 90s is more comparable to, to Clemson right now than, than they would be to Alabama right now. Be- because I really do think, aside from one or two big tests every single year, Clemson makes it through most of their schedule pretty unopposed. And, and that's, that's how Nebraska was in the 90s, too. Most of the Big 8 slash Big 12 wasn't offering much of a competition. I, I, I'll say this, and I, I appreciate the, the, the take on it. Absolutely. I th- and I know Oklahoma was down, all right, but Colorado wasn't. Kansas State wasn't. I mean, they were both top ten programs, and Kansas even kind of had a hey, look at us, we're we're top ten. I mean, you had a good coach in Glenn Mason, Big Eight, Big Twelve, and then you bring in A and M, you bring in Texas, when Texas had always underachieved until Mac Brown got there. Baylor was garbage, obviously, but the Big Twelve was was good, and the Big Eight wasn't really bad at all. I mean, the final year of the Big A, you had four teams finish in the top ten. Clemson either gets to dodge or has to beat Notre Dame, right? So I think it's it's a little bit more comparable. What Bama's done is incredible over 12 years. We'll see you tomorrow at 4.